Chapter 15 of Idiala. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Idiala by Sarah Grand. Chapter 15. But of all of this, Idiala knew little or nothing when she went there, except that the great hospital existed for some learned purpose. She felt the power of the place, however, preoccupied as she was, and stopped involuntarily when she saw the building, ceasing for a moment to be conscious of anything but the awe and admiration it inspired. Then she passed up the broad steps, beneath the massive pillars of the portico, and entered the hall. A manservant took her card to Mr. Lorimore, and returning presently, requested her to follow him. They left the great hall by a flight of low steps at the end of it, and, turning to the right, passed through glass doors into quite another part of the building. A long, dimly lit gallery led away into the distance. A few doors opened onto it, and at one of these the servant stopped and knocked. A tall gentleman opened the door himself, and, begging Idiala to enter, bade her be seated at a writing table which stood in the middle of the room, and himself took the chair in front of it, and looked at Idiala's card which lay before him. Another gentleman, whom Lorimore introduced as my brother Julian, lounged on a high-backed chair at the other side of the table. The room was a good size, but so crowded with things that there was scarcely space to turn around. The light fell full upon Lorimore as he sat facing the window, and Idiala saw a fair man of about thirty, not at all the sort of man she had imagined, and quite impossible for her purpose. An awkward pause followed her entrance. She was unable to tell him the real reason of her visit, and at a loss to invent a fictitious one. I don't suppose you know in the least who I am, she said seeing that he glanced at her card again, and then she explained, telling him what his cousin had written to her. And you would like to see the hospital, he asked. Please. He rose, took down a bunch of keys, and requested her to follow him. She felt no interest in the place, and knew it was a bore to him to show it to her, but the thing had to be done. He led her through halls and lecture rooms, places of recreation and places for work. He showed her picture galleries, statuary, the library, and a museum, and told her the plan of it all clearly, like one reciting a lesson, and indifferently, like one performing a task that must be got through somehow, but making it all most interesting nevertheless. Idiala began to be taken out of herself. What a delightful place, she said and when they came to the library. And there is a whole row of books I want to consult. How I should like to come and read them. Oh, pray do, he answered, whenever you like. Ladies frequently do so. You have only to write and tell me when you wish to come, and I will see that you are properly attended to. Thank you, Idiala rejoined. It is just the very thing for me, for I am writing a little book 
and I cannot get on till I have consulted some authorities on the subject. In the museum, they stopped to look at a mummy. Oh, happy mummy, burst from Idiala involuntarily. Why? asked Lorimer, aroused from his apathy. It is done with it all, you know, she answered. Then he turned and looked at her, and she saw that he was something more than cold, pale-faced and indifferent, which had been her first idea of him. His eyes were large, dark gray and penetrating. She would have called his face fine rather than handsome, but the upper part was certainly beautiful, in spite of some hard lines on it. There was something in the expression more than in the formation of the mouth and chin, however, that did not satisfy. His head and throat were splendid. The former narrowed a little at the back, but the forehead made up for the defect, which was not striking. It made Idiala think of Tito Melema and of Bayard. That remark of hers having broken the ice, they began to talk like human beings with something in common. But Idiala's mood was not calculated to produce a good impression. The failure of her enterprise brought on a fit of recklessness, such as we understood. And she said some things which must have made a stranger think her peculiar. Lorimer had begun to be amused before they returned to the great entrance hall. Once or twice he looked at her curiously. What sort of a person are you, I wonder? he was thinking. I was dying of dullness, she said, telling him about the place she came from. And so I came to see you. He left her for a moment, but presently returned with his brother. You had better come and have some luncheon before you go back, he said. And she went. As they left the building, Lorimer asked her, where on earth did my cousin meet you? with the slightest possible emphasis. Idiala understood him and laughed. Upon my word, I don't know who introduced her, she answered, standing on her dignity nevertheless. I can't remember. They went to the refreshment room at the station. It was crowded, but they managed to get a table to themselves. There was a vacant seat at it, and an old gentleman begged to be allowed to occupy it, as there was no other in the room. The three chatted while they waited, each hiding him or herself beneath the light froth of easy conversation. And people not accustomed to look on the surface for signs of what is working beneath would have thought them merry enough. As she began to know her companions better, Idiala was more and more drawn to Lorimer. His brother, who was a dark man and very different in character, did not attract her. The older gentleman, meanwhile, was absorbed in his newspaper, and he marked his enjoyment of it by inhaling his breath and exhaling it again in that particular way, which is called blowing like a porpoise. Lorimer, by an intelligent glance, expressed what he thought of the peculiarity to Idiala, who remarked, it is the next gale developing dangerous energy on its way to the North British and Norwegian coasts. The laugh that followed caused the old gentleman to fold up his paper and look benignly at the young people over his pince-nez. 
It was early in the season, and peas were a rare and forced vegetable. A small dish of them was brought, and handed to the dangerous Gale, who absently took them all. You have taken all the peas, sir. Allow me to give you all the pepper, said Lorimer, dexterously suiting the action to the word. The dangerous Gale, though disconcerted at first, was finally moved to mirth. Ha, young people, young people, he said, and sighed. And being a merry and wise old gentleman, he found pleasure in their pleasure, and entered into their mood, little suspecting that black care was one of the party, or that a black bruise which would have aroused all the pity and indignation of his honest old heart, had he seen it, was almost under his eyes. And they all loved him. Presently he rose to go, but before he departed, he observed, looking kindly at Idiala and Lorimer, You're a handsome pair, my dears. Let me congratulate you, and may your children have the mother's sweetness and the father's strength, and may the love you have for each other last forever. There's nothing like it. Thank God for it, and remember him always. And keep yourselves unspotted from the world. And so saying, he went his way in peace. Dear embarrassing old man, said Lorimer regretfully, I wish I hadn't spilt the pepper on his plate. Is there a chance for Lorimer? his brother asked. But Idiala only stared at him. There was something in his tone that made her feel ill at ease and brought back the recollection of her misery in a moment. Then all at once she became depressed, and both the young men noticed it. I'm afraid you're rather down about something, Julian said. You'd better tell us what it is. Perhaps we could cheer you up. And I'm a lawyer, you know. I might be able to help you. Lorimer was looking at her and seemed to wait for her to speak. But she only showed by a change of expression that the fact of his brother being a lawyer possessed a special interest for her. If you will trust us, he said at last, perhaps we can help you. I wish I could, she answered wistfully. I came to tell you. That sounds serious, Julian said lightly. You will have to begin at the beginning, you know. Come, Lorimer, we'll go down to the river. And, to Idiala, you might tell us all about it on the way, you know. Yes, come, said Lorimer. Idiala rose to accompany them without a thought. It all came about so easily that no question of propriety suggested itself. And if any had occurred to her, she would probably have considered it an insult to these gentlemen to suppose they would allow her to put herself in a questionable position. And when Julian lit a cigarette without asking her permission, she was surprised. On the way to the river, Idiala's spirits rose again, and they all talked lightly, making a jest of everything. But while they were waiting for a boat, Julian took up a bunch of charms that were attached to Idiala's watch chain and began to examine them coolly, and the unwanted familiarity startled her. With a sudden revulsion of feeling, she turned to Lorimer. She was annoyed by the slight indignity, and also a little frightened. Whatever Lorimer may have thought of her before, he understood her look now, and his whole manner changed. Julian left them for a moment. I am so ashamed of myself, Idiala said. I have made some dreadful mistake. I have done something wrong. 
I am very sorry for you, he answered gravely. And then to his brother, who had returned, You can go on if you like. I am going back. Oh, we can't go on without you, Idiala interposed, and I would rather go back too. They began to retrace their steps, and Lorimer, as they walked, managed with a few adroit questions to learn from Idiala that the trouble had something to do with her husband. Reggie Beaumont is coming to me this afternoon, he said to his brother. Would you mind being there to receive him? They exchanged glances, and Julian took his leave. Now, tell me, Lorimer said to Idiala. But an unconquerable fit of shyness came over her the moment they were left alone together. I cannot tell you, she answered. It is too dreadful to speak of. Your husband has done you some great wrong, he said. Yes. Something for which you can get legal redress? Yes. And that made you desperate? Yes. And what did you do? He put the question abruptly, startling Idiala, as he had intended. I? Oh, I did nothing she stammered. There was a pause. My ideal of marriage is a high one, he said at last, and I should be very hard on any shortcomings of that kind. Idiala longed to confide in him, but her shyness continued, and she walked by his side like one in a dream. He took her to the station, and when they parted, he said, you will write and tell me? Idiala looked up. There were no hard lines in his face now. He was slightly flushed. Yes, I will write, she answered, almost in a whisper. And then the train, with rush and ring, bore her away through the spring country. But she neither saw the young green of the hedgerows nor the young lambs bleating in the meadows, nor the broad river as she passed it, nor the fleecy clouds that flecked the blue. She was not really conscious of anything for the moment, but that sudden, great, unspeakable uplifting of the spirit, which is joy. End of chapter 15